1: It's Thursday, February 9th, 2023, the 750th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Before we get started, just a little shout out to Badlands Media and to my good friend, John Harold, better known as Patel Patriot. His Devolution Power Hour episode from last night was just retruthed today by none other than Donald J. Trump. So congratulations to John. Congratulations to Just Human and burning bright for garnering that nice little attaboy for Badlands Media. Now, yesterday I had a marathon day of doing shows. Got up at 5:45 in the morning, hit the gym, came back ready to go for the Twitter hearings, which I'll discuss in a bit. Then recorded part of my show while. That hearing was on recess due to the lights going out, then came back, finished that stream, worked more on my show, went on Conservative Daily with Joe Oltman and Apollo and Ash, and then finally finished my show around eight at night. So I was basically doing nothing but recording for 11 straight hours. And in a haze, I forgot to add on two pieces that I wanted to play on the state of the union episode. So I'm going to do that today. I also want to say one more thing about the episode yesterday, because I know that people don't like to listen to Joe Biden's voice, right? I a hundred percent get that. I thought about maybe going through some of the analysis about the state of the union, just playing a few clips and talking about those. But one of the ways that I look at this show is kind of as a time capsule for what's actually going on throughout this time. You know, I want to be every day documenting the Great Awakening. It's not just about me telling you the news. I want somebody to be able to listen to these episodes in a year or two years or five years or 10 years and understand that there were people in our society Analyzing what's happening in a way that completely separates itself from the mainstream media. I wrote in the essay, The Sides of History, which is up on the Substack and also available in audio on the Substack, because I wanted to make clear what I think is happening now in terms of the information we receive. It's not just about the fact that we are inundated with fake news and fake stories. It's that this fake news and these fake stories are actually setting up a history for people in the future to look back on. And that history is being falsified in real time. And this is what allows them to pull off their switcheroos in the world where they win, right? In 20 years or 40 years or 50 years or 100 years, people will look back on the news that's being written right now and the records of our congressional proceedings and what they will see is a falsified record that they will believe constitutes the most authoritative sources of our era. And in doing that, They will come to believe a history that is entirely false. And that is how societies get completely unmoored from the past. Everything then becomes focused on the latest research and progressive ideas like the idea that the entire point of existence is to make quote unquote progress by whatever terms they define progress to be. Now, the best way to counter that is to make sure that we win and that the accumulation of their fake news within the central narrative doesn't actually become our history, because in that history, we're the Nazis. They call us even while they support Nazis in Ukraine. We are the racists. They call us even though they are the party of the Klan and the Confederacy and Jim Crow and Urban Decay and Critical Race Theory, and the 1619 Project, a project literally designed to rewrite history and create a new understanding of what our history was, written by someone who's not a historian, and of course, anti-racism, which is just racism. In their fake history, the regime will be the good guys and we will be the insurrectionists. Now, I don't imagine anyone in my audience is okay with that, but it's not a fait accompli. We can actually seek out the truth and spread that truth and write the history of what's happening in real time as it happens, reflecting the reality, not the central narrative, not the official story. I don't want people in a hundred years to look back and think that CNN and the New York Times and the Washington Post and MSNBC and our deep state apparatus constitute the only full and accurate telling of this story. I also designed the podcast so that someone who is just waking up now, who's just starting to figure out that the COVID vaccines, for instance, are dangerous can start my show somewhere a year and a half ago or two years ago. And here at that point, that people like me and not just me, there are plenty of people doing this. I'm not trying to center this on myself, but that people like me were actually saying that the vaccine was a bad idea for all the reasons that it has now become clear. The vaccine is a bad idea. It actually does matter that people were right about these things at the right time so that they could make the proper decisions on how to guide their lives. That's what's important to me. And when people realize that, when people understand, oh, wow, these people were trying to tell me this for my own good two years ago, and I called them conspiracy theorists while they were trying to save my life, that gives them an entry point into understanding where their worldview and where their perspective went wrong. So I know that an episode full of Joe Biden sound bites from the State of the Union is not the most pleasant thing to listen to, especially if you already had to listen to the State of the Union. And trust me, however much hearing him again hurt you doing the whole episode all day long hurt me much more but I still do think it's important because I want to have these things documented and I want people to be able to see, oh yeah, people were saying these things at the time. So I'm very happy that many of you liked the recap and liked the show. For anyone out there who felt the frustration I'm describing, I apologize and I'm right there with you, but I think it's important nonetheless. So That being said, I want to play two responses. The first is from Marjorie Taylor Greene, and this is after Biden's speech. And the second will be Donald Trump, as I promised in the show yesterday. He actually released his statement before the speech. Here's MTG.
3: I just got back to my office after listening to the State of the Union with Joe Biden And part of the time we couldn't really understand what he was saying as he was yelling at people, um, yelling through the applause and mumbling through his words. Some of the things that we did here didn't make any sense. Joe Biden claimed to care about the border and talked about fentanyl deaths, which is the number one cause of young people ages 18 to 45, but yet has no plan to secure the border. And frankly, we all know he doesn't care about the border because Joe wants the border wide open. That's the whole problem with Joe. We also heard him talk about McDonald's non-compete fees. I gotta tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I don't hear anybody at home worrying about these terrible fights between different um, fast food companies. Joe Biden did talk a lot about communism though and controlling private companies, and I think that's something that should concern every single American and every single business owner. I will tell you one thing Joe Biden did lie about. He didn't know what he was talking about a lot of the time, but he did frankly lie talking about Republicans and Social Security and Medicare. We have not talked about cutting Social Security Security and Medicare. Joe Biden has been claiming that we're gonna cut Social Security and Medicare, but we're not. So we called him out on the House floor. I called him a liar because that's what Joe Biden is. Either he doesn't know what he's talking about or he's just flat out lying. The one thing he did not talk about was the one thing he should have talked about. He should have apologized to America for the Chinese spy balloon that he allowed to traverse across our country, spy on our military bases, spy on our food factories, spy on our cities, spy on our entire country. They knew about it on January 28th, still allowed it to enter our airspace, spy on our country and never did a damn thing about it until it left our country on February 4th. Joe Biden is weak. Joe Biden can't stand up to China. Joe Biden cannot protect our country, he can't protect our borders, and Joe Biden doesn't know anything he's talking about. That's the state of our union.
1: This is, in fact, what our representatives should be doing. The solution to our problems now is to speak out all the time at every possible opportunity. Don't comply with anything. We don't need to pretend we have to give false deference to public officials who do not even sit in their offices as the result of legitimate elections, they are meant to work for the citizens. It's not the other way around. They are not royalty. We do not have to pretend that they are any different than normal people. They chose to go into, quote unquote, public service. They are supposed to be doing the people's business. They are supposed to be representing constituencies. And when they don't, We do not have to simply continue to respect them and refuse to say anything disagreeing with them, anything bad about them, just because they hold a certain office. These people came into office through illegitimate elections and they abused the authority vested in those offices in the first place. The corrupt among them and the criminals among them should be exposed and mocked at every possible opportunity. There are ways that people can hold these representatives accountable. And if we're not going to be able to do it through the electoral process, then our option is to do it through speech by publicly exposing who these people are, what they actually represent, their history of corruption, their history of criminality. And we have to make it So that holding these offices in order to personally benefit and to push the globalist agenda becomes no longer the free ride they were expecting. So let's hear from Donald Trump again. He released this just before the fake president's State of the Union. And Trump notes right away that this is the real State of the Union. Take that as you will.
4: Here's the real State of the Union. Over the past two years, under Biden, millions and millions of illegal aliens from 160 different countries have stormed across our southern border. Drug cartels are now raking in billions of dollars from smuggling poison to kill our people and to kill our children. Savage killers, rapists and violent criminals are being released from jail to continue their crime wave. And under Biden, the murder rate has reached the highest In the history of our country, Biden and the radical Democrats have wasted trillions of dollars and caused the worst inflation in half a century. Real wages are down 21 months in a row. Gas prices have soared and are now going up much higher than even before. And the typical American family is paying $2,200 in increased energy and food costs each year. Joe Biden's weaponized Justice Department, and I'm a victim of it, is persecuting his political opponents. His administration is waging war on free speech. They're trying to indoctrinate and mutilate our children. He's leading us to the brink of World War III, and on top of all of that, he's the most corrupt president in American history, and it's not even close. But the good news is we are going to reverse every single crisis, calamity, and disaster that joe biden has created i am running for president to end the destruction of our country and to complete the unfinished business of making america great again we will make our country better than ever before and we will always put america first thank you
1: so donald trump in two minutes gave a more thoughtful accurate reality-based interpretation of the actual state of the union than Joe Biden did in his hour and a half of absolute nonsense and falsehood and stuttering and derision that he was totally unable to handle. I mentioned the moment in the podcast yesterday, but when they were going off on Joe Biden about how it was his border and his fault, When Joe Biden was trying to talk about the fentanyl epidemic, Biden stood there with that fairly common at this point, dumbfounded look on his face where his lower jaw just drops and he sits there with his mouth agape, wondering why the audience that he's speaking to is not just praising him all the time. And we've seen that from Joe Biden countless times before. I mean, the clips of Biden going off on audience members of town halls or various speeches or people who try to ask him questions after a campaign event, for instance. It's easy to recognize that the man's history is one of entitlement. Joe Biden really believes that Joe Biden is a great man, maybe one of the greatest men And the media and those hoping to capitalize on Joe Biden's ostensible power help to constantly reaffirm his self-conception. And speaking of self-conception, I want to play this clip from Morning Joe that was shared by The War Room this morning. But I want to take it in a different direction than Bannon took it because this is the perfect highlight of something that I've talked about on this show pretty consistently for the last two plus years. Check it out.
5: Let's just talk about how political pundits uh, like me and others have gotten things wrong for 20, 25 years, because what you hear Time and again is, oh, the Democratic Party too far left on social issues. Take abortion, take guns, take all. It scares people in Middle America. It scares. Well, now we have we have proof. We got proof. The the dog caught the car, and it was an ugly sight. Right, fifty years fighting to take away the right uh, to choose for women, they got their wish. And it just completely politically blew up in their faces. You look at guns. We all hear guns. You can't talk about guns because you're going to lose voters in this state and that state. Man, the polls overwhelmingly show uh, support for universal background checks and and other things. I I just... uh, I think we all get it, not all of us, but I think a lot of us got it wrong through the southern border. They talk about the southern border every two years. They lose elections every two years. American voters obviously aren't as scared of these things as Republicans think they are.
1: Now, Joe Scarborough is making an argument that would have been very successful a few years ago and many years ago and for most of Americans history. He's making the argument that elections reflect what the American people actually think and that polls reflect what the American people actually think. But we know that polls do not accurately reflect what Americans think and that elections, when they are stolen, do not have the ability to reflect what Americans actually think. So Scarborough is using elections that Republicans have, quote unquote, lost and polls Run by the same media organizations who only exist to spread regime propaganda and support the regime in the face of public opposition, to claim that Americans are actually fully on board with what the illegitimate administration and the global regime are doing when nothing could be further from the truth. These media organizations literally advertise the good of the regime. In opposition to what the people actually want. But these arguments are made so often, and people don't really think too deeply about them. And the takeaway ends up being wow, this really is what America thinks about all these issues. I guess the polls say it, and the elections say it, so it must be true. But it's not true. And Joe Scarborough and anyone using these lines of argument is doing so. In service of the creation of a false reality, they are trying to reaffirm the truth of the false reality. And in doing that, they confuse how Americans see themselves and how they see America, how they see their community. And Scarborough is guilty of a very subtle but very important logical fallacy. What he's doing is making an argument from authority. He is citing our election results as an authoritative source, and he's citing our polling as an authoritative source. And neither of those are necessarily authoritative sources. If our elections were legitimate and verifiable and transparent, then perhaps our elections would be an authoritative source. There is no point at which a poll is an authoritative source. Polls can give some idea of what the public actually thinks. And so it's not totally useless to have a look at them, but they're not a confirmed record of truth. There are plenty of problems with the way polls are done in the first place that makes it impossible to say authoritatively that they represent reality. And I had Richard Barris, a pollster on this show last summer, late last summer to discuss this very problem. And he admits it. Pollsters know there are problems in the process. I can't remember exactly the phrase that Barris used, but he basically said that polling is part data analysis and part art. There is an art to it. Some pollsters are trying to get as close to an accurate perspective on what people actually think as they can. Others are creating polls in order to serve an agenda. Polls are not inherently good or inherently bad. They're just information among other information. From my point of view, polls are most useful in terms of their directionality, particularly when looking at them over time and from polling companies that are at least reliable. There is no polling company that's going to get it all right. That's not possible due to the nature of polling, but reliability is. And transparency and the willingness of the pollster to answer questions about the poll are some things we can look at in order to refine the way we see the polling. But the point is, Joe Scarborough is making a completely fallacious argument, which is obviously false on its face. And he's doing that to convince the American people, at least the child brains in the Morning Joe audience that the people think the exact opposite of what they really think. So yesterday, representatives of Twitter came to the House Oversight Committee's hearing to testify about Twitter's censorship policies. And appearing to testify was former FBI general counsel and deputy general counsel of Twitter, James Baker, Former general counsel for Twitter and the head of legal policy and trust at Twitter, Vidia Gotti, the former head of trust and safety, Yoel Roth, and a woman named Annika Navaroli, who was invited by the Democrats on the committee so she could perform the role that she performed with the January 6th committee last year, which is pretending to be a Twitter whistleblower able to provide insight on how Twitter's lack of censorship led to the very violent insurrection on January 6th, 2021. Her purpose at the hearing seemed to be fielding questions exclusively from Democrats, because why would anyone else want to talk to this woman on matters related to January 6th in support of further censorship, giving the idea that Twitter Has not done enough to prevent very violent incidents like the very violent insurrection. But she had another purpose there as well, and that was to give some sort of credence to a Democrat conspiracy theory that Donald Trump requested Twitter taking down a post from the Instagram influencer and wife of John Legend, Chrissy Teigen, on the basis that her tweet hurt Donald Trump's feelings and her testimony was considered by the Democrats on the committee to be evidence that Trump had done that, which means that both sides got it. Both sides were requesting censorship. So it wasn't just the FBI. It wasn't just parts of the deep state of the regime that were requesting American citizens be censored. It was also Donald Trump who asked for Chrissy Teigen's post to be taken down. Now, there's absolutely no evidence that ever happened, and she didn't even claim that it definitely did happen. She said that that was what she heard. She basically has second and third hand knowledge that that is what happened. She's saying the White House requested it. Now, even if it was true somehow that someone from the White House, Asked Twitter to take down that post. That still does not mean it was directed by Donald Trump. And this is the sleight of hand they always play. When anything happens under the Trump administration, even by the deep state that existed during Trump's first term solely to undermine and discredit the president, any of that activity is always then ascribed to Donald Trump as if it was him requesting it. She genuinely served no other purpose at the hearing besides that. And of course, representing non-binary wokeness. Now, most of the time spent by the Democrats on the committee in their rounds of questioning was focused on claiming that the committee shouldn't be wasting their time on this sort of hearing. These are all old scandals. The Hunter Biden laptop. Well, that's a story that's two and a half years old and there have already been hearings on it. The public already knows what's going on here. The Republicans had this conspiracy theory about the Hunter Biden laptop. And because Twitter censored the New York Post story for a day, that's what they say. It's for a day. They just want revenge on Twitter for messing up their op to skew the outcome of the 2020 election. It's not the other way around. It's not that Democrats and Twitter, the regime and Twitter ran an operation, orchestrated a months long operation that led up to the censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story. It's that Republicans wanted to push that totally irrelevant story in order to harm Joe Biden in the lead up to the election. So it's not the regime's fault. It's Donald Trump's fault. It's Republicans fault. They should have never brought it up. The Hunter Biden story. Well, that's all just crack and hookers. There's not actually proof on that laptop that Joe Biden was directly involved in selling out American interests to regime allies around the world that just so happened to be based in nations with an adversarial relationship to the United States of America, and that Joe and Hunter both profited massively off those corrupt and criminal deals that harmed America. Nope. It's just that the Republicans were mad that their information op on the American people didn't work. And then after the recess, after the lights went out and the hearing was delayed for an hour and a half. The Democrats all came back and spent their time ostensibly sympathizing with the panelists because the day had been so long and they all looked very tired. This has all been a long and pointless and frustrating day for everyone. That's how they painted that picture. But the hearing was not a waste of time. The Democrats wasted their time. They used the hearing to cover for Twitter and to cover for the regime's involvement in the censorship of American citizens, rather than trying to actually question the witnesses and gain insight into what was happening. It's as if they don't care about the censorship of American citizens at all. It's as if they want more of it. Wait a second. It's not as if either of those things, they explicitly say that they want more of it. That's what they spent the hearing yesterday doing. So let's get to some of the clips from the Republican side of things where some progress actually was made. And let's start with Byron Donalds.
6: Do you know how many tweets were actually flagged and taken down at the behest of the Biden team?
7: I wouldn't agree with the characterization of it as being at the behest of them. These tweets were reported and Twitter independently evaluated them under it. But, the, but the but
6: the email is very clear. More to review from Biden team. The response three hours later at the bottom, hold this up real quick so we can see. The request at the bottom, it says, handled these. What does handled these mean?
7: My understanding is that these tweets contained non-consensual nude photos of Hunter Biden, and they were removed by the company under... Hold real on,
6: real quick, floor. Mr. Roth, how could you know so much about the content of these tweets? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, these are just web addresses. I don't know what's in these tweets. You have these things committed to memory that you know the content, but you don't know who you talk to, who you talk
2: to
1: at the Biden team? So Byron Donalds is referencing an email that was released in the Twitter files showing that there were a series of tweets sent to Twitter by the Biden administration in takedown requests. And the response from Twitter was handled these. Now, Yoel Ross's response was something that was pretty common throughout the hearing yesterday. What he was trying to do there was... Draw a clear, bright line between the government and what Twitter was doing independently. Sure, the government sent in these requests, but it turned out under Twitter's judgment and Twitter's rules and policies that the government was right to highlight these particular tweets and then Twitter independently took them down. You see, they have to portray it as two separate things because the number one goal for people in the regime and for people at Twitter is making sure that Twitter is constantly viewed as a private entity, wholly separate from government, because the alternative is that Twitter was operating as an agent of the state. And indeed, Twitter was operating as an agent of the state. People have been denying that for years and claiming Twitter as a private company is protected by Section 230 and gets to decide on their own what's allowed to stay on the platform. Twitter is able to censor independently due to Section 230. And that's all Twitter was doing the entire time. But that response was thoroughly refuted by Anna Paulina Luna. And this clip is a little longer, but I think it's worth playing the whole thing because she did an outstanding job of getting down to the roots of this thing.
0: Mr. Roth, um, have you communicated with government officials ever on a platform called JIRA? Yes or no? Real quick answer. We're
7: on the clock. Not to the best of my recollection. Not to your
0: recollection? Great. If you did, in the event, communicate, who would have had access to this platform?
7: That's the nature of my confusion.
0: Okay. Jira. Did you ever speak to government officials on JIRA regarding taking down social media posts?
7: Again, not to the best of my recollection. Can
0: you explain to me why the federal government would ever have interest in communicating through JIRA, mind you, a private cloud server, with social media companies without oversight to censor American voices. I want to let you know that this is a violation of the First Amendment and the federal government is colluding with social media companies to censor Americans. Mr. Chairman, I ask for unanimous consent to submit these graphics into record. And Mr. Roth, I'm gonna refresh your memory for you. This flow chart behind me, thank you, Chair. This flow chart shows the following federal agencies, social media companies, Twitter, leftist nonprofits, and organizations communicating regarding their version of misinformation using Jira, a private cloud server. On this chart, I want to annotate that the Department of Homeland Security, which has the following branches, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, also known as CISA, um, Countering Foreign Intelligence Task Force, now known as the Misinfo, Disinfo and Malinformation MDM, this was again used against the American people. The Election, Partnership Institute, or Election Integrity Partnership, EIP, which includes the following Stanford Internet Observatory, University of Washington Center for Informed Public, Graphica, and Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab, and potentially, according to what we found on the final report by EIP, the DNC. The Center for Internet Security, CIS, a nonprofit funded by DHS, the National Association of Secretaries of State, also known as NASS, and the National Association of State Election Directors, NASED, and in this case, because there are other social media companies involved, Twitter. What do all of these groups, though, have in common? And I'm going to, again, refresh your memory. They were all communicating on a private cloud server known as JIRA. Now, the screenshot behind, uh, screenshot behind me, which is an example of one of thousands, Shows on November 3, 2020, that you, Mr. Roth, a Twitter employee, were exchanging communications on JIRA, a private cloud server, with SISA, NASS, NASED, and Alex Stamos, who now works at Stanford and is a former security, of, um, security officer at Facebook, to remove a posting. Do you now remember communicating on a private cloud server to remove a posting? Yes or no?
7: I wouldn't agree with the characterization. I don't care if you agree. This... Do you?
0: This is this is your stuff. Yes or no? Did you communicate with a private entity, the government agency, on a private cloud server? Yes or no?
7: The question was, if I yes or no.
0: It, yeah, I'm it. on time. Yes or no,
7: ma'am? I don't believe I can give you a yes or no. Well, I'm going to tell part.
0: you right now that you did, and we have proof of it. This, ladies and gentlemen, is joint action between the federal government and a private company to censor and violate the First Amendment. This is also known, and I'm so glad that there's many attorneys on this panel, joint state actors. It's highly illegal. You are all engaged in this action, and I want you to know that you will be all held accountable. Ms. Gaddy, are you still on cisa's Cybersecurity Advisory Council? Yes or no? Yes, I am. Okay. For those who have said that this is a pointless hearing, and I just want to let you guys all know, we found that Twitter was indeed communicating with the federal government to censor Americans. I'd like to remind you that this was all in place before January 6th. So so to say that these mechanisms weren't in place, and to make it about January 6th, I want to let you know that you guys were actually in control of all of the content, and clearly we have proof of that. Now, if you don't think that this is important to your constituents and the American people from those saying that this was a pointless hearing, I suggest you find other jobs. Chairman, I yield my time.
1: Now, that could not be any clearer. Yoel Roth thought he was going to get out of this exchange and out of this hearing by saying that he doesn't know. He couldn't recall. He wouldn't agree with the characterization. Anna Paulina Luna had a screenshot of a conversation from this private cloud messaging app that exists within Twitter. This is an internal communications thing, and they had government officials with accounts and with access to this internal communications platform that was being shared by the entities she listed. They were directly discussing the censorship of American citizens. And this JIRA communications platform was never supposed to be known about. Yoel Roth didn't know this was coming. And I sincerely hope we see the follow through here from the oversight committee and from Anna Paulina Luna, because this is the crux of the issue. As I just mentioned, proving that Twitter was operating as an agent of the state is what makes all the difference in this case. This is what makes Section 230 irrelevant. The government is not allowed to delegate the violation of constitutional rights To private entities. And that's exactly what we've seen over the past few years of this social media manipulation. They're not actually allowed to do that. And that's why the Democrats on the panel and why so much of the media conversation revolves around painting Twitter as this private entity, this private organization that does have their own rights to manage content as they see fit. They do not have the right to censor American citizens' political speech in violation of the First Amendment just because they're a private company. The fact that the government has asked them to do this and is directing the censorship means they are acting as an agent of the state. Let's hear from Clay Higgins.
8: For the record, Mr. Baker, Ms. Gotti, Mr. Roth, Mr. Niroli, are you here under the advice of counsel and do you have counsel present
1: Yes, sir. That was
8: a yes?
1: Yes, sir.
7: Yes, sir. Yes, I do. Yes, I was subpoenaed. That's to good appear. to know.
8: I'm glad you all have counsel present. Mr. Chairman, for the uh, for the submission for the record, I'd like consent to submit the Twitter files dated uh, December the 8th post about the New York Post regarding the suppression of conservative commentators. Like that submitted without objection to ordered. Mr. Chairman, thank you. I'd like to also submit for the record a timeline of uh, events with cited sources outlining strong evidence of the Biden family organized criminal actions would certainly indicate that we've crossed the threshold of reasonable suspicion. I'd like this timeline submitted for the record. Excuse
7: me, Mr. Chairman. I just where is that from, that timeline?
8: Timeline in my hand, boss up. Uh, I'll get it to you shortly. Um, Bottom line is that the FBI had the Biden crime family laptop for a year. They knew it was leaking. They knew it would hurt the Biden campaign. So the FBI used its relationship with Twitter to suppress criminal evidence being revealed about Joe Biden one month before the 2020 election. You, ladies and gentlemen, interfered with the United States of America 2020 presidential election, knowingly and willingly. That's the bad news. It's going to get worse because this is the investigation part. Later comes the arrest part. Your attorneys are familiar with that. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to spend five hours with these ladies and gentlemen doing depositions surely yet to come. But for right now, I yield the balance of my time.
1: Now, that's pretty straightforward, and it seems like Clay Higgins knows what comes next. It seems like those panelists might know what comes next as well. He asked them if their lawyers were there and present, and then when mentioning arrests, he said, your lawyers know about that. Now, the reaction from the Democrats after this point, after hearing from Higgins and then Luna, AOC and others started making the case that the congressmen on the Republican side of the aisle were actually threatening the panelists and threatening the witnesses. And that just wasn't allowed. You can't tell people who have participated with the government usurpation of the constitutional order that they might eventually be in trouble. That's just not allowed. But we are reaching the stage where the American public knows what's been done And certainly these Twitter representatives know what's been done. It is entirely possible, indeed, even likely, that James Baker is part of an ongoing investigation right now. And he was very crafty, let's say, with how he framed his answers yesterday. He was trying to invoke attorney-client privilege for an attorney-client relationship that, A, no longer exists and B, has already been waived by Elon Musk. Here's Congresswoman Nancy Mace, who describes how she has had negative vaccine reactions and is wondering why Twitter took the initiative to censor renowned doctors and experts who were dissenting from the central narrative on COVID.
6: So my first question this morning of Ms. Gaddy: may I ask of you, where did you go to medical school? I did not go to medical school. I'm sorry. I did not go to medical school. That's what I thought. Why do you think you or anyone else at Twitter had the medical expertise to censor a doctor's expert opinion? Our policies regarding COVID were designed to protect individuals. We were seeing- You guys censored Harvard educated doctors, Stanford educated doctors, doctors that are educated in the best places in the world. And you silenced those voices. My next question is to the U.S. government. Oh, excuse me. I have another chart I want to show you, Ms. Gaddy. I have another tweet by someone with a following of a full 18,000 followers. This person put a chart from the CDC on Twitter. It's the CDC's own data, so it's accurate by your standards. And you all labeled this as misleading. You're not a doctor, right, Ms. Gaddy? No, I'm not. Okay. What makes you think you or anyone else of Twitter have the medical expertise to censor actual accurate CDC data? I'm not familiar with these particular situations. Yeah, I'm sure you're not. But this is what Twitter did. They labeled this as inaccurate. It is the government's own data. It's ridiculous that we're even having to have this conversation today. It's not just about the laptop. This is about medical advice that expert doctors were trying to give Americans because social media companies like Twitter were silencing their voices. I have another question, my last one for you, Ms. uh, Ms. Gaddy. Did the U.S. government ever contact you or anyone at Twitter to pressure Twitter to moderate or censor certain tweets? Yes or no? We have a program. Did the U.S. government ever contact you or anyone at Twitter to censor or moderate certain tweets, yes or no? We receive legal demands to remove content from the platform from the U.S. government and governments all around the world. Those are published on a third-party website and anyone can review them. Thank God for Matt Taibbi. Thank God for Elon Musk for allowing to show us in the world that Twitter was basically a subsidiary of the FBI, censoring real medical voices with real expertise that put real Americans lives in danger because they didn't have that information.
1: So it's important to understand that we are hearing them admit to everything we have accused them of. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a system. The system was designed to censor Americans to enforce the central narrative through propaganda on the one side and censorship on the other. You get only the central narrative. Anything that dissents from the central narrative is removed. So the general public who isn't too attentive to these things and doesn't really explore very deeply on any of these subjects, well, they get the impression that there is only one position that represents truth. They get flooded with the same messaging from all corners. And they think that there's no way this thing could possibly be wrong because no one is disputing it. But it turns out that half the population was disputing it and half the experts were disputing it. But that all got wiped away and only the central narrative remains. And what was that central narrative used to do? Well, it was used to lock everybody in for covid to make covid seem like the most dangerous thing that ever happened to enforce social distancing business closures school closures lockdowns mask mandates and the safety and efficacy of the vaccines on each and every one of those issues the central narrative was exactly wrong and what i mean by saying exactly wrong is not just that it was mistaken or that it turned out to be wrong in the moment It was the exact opposite of truth, and that's why it was being pushed out, because the truth wouldn't have achieved the results the agenda required. The Great Reset they intended to complete couldn't have been achieved without the lockdowns, without altering society in all these ways. They called the program Build Back Better. Well, you can't build back better if things haven't been ruined first, Otherwise, there's no building back. It's just building. The policies were designed to destroy society so that the regime could swoop in and fix everything in its image, including our view of ourselves and our view of our society and our community and our friends and our family. It altered everything on purpose. That's why that story was told. And it should be clear to everybody by this point that that's the reason for censorship. You don't need to censor false stories. Those falsehoods can be sorted out through public conversation and argument. You only need to censor the truth. But you don't need to censor all of the truth. You just need to censor the truth that harms your agenda. And you can see just from looking at the censorship which parts of the agenda were particularly false and particularly important. There were certain counter narratives out there that the regime just didn't think they could withstand. They understood that if the public knew what the conspiracy theorists were saying, then the agenda would fail. The proof that we were right the entire time, as it often is, is in the censorship. They censored for a reason. They did it on purpose. It wasn't to save American lives. It wasn't to preserve American society. It was to enact their agenda and promote that agenda and push that agenda forward. Because the deeper truth is that no one wants that agenda. Everyone would have rejected that agenda out of hand if they hadn't been able to create society wide fear. They created that fear through propaganda. They literally paid some of the most popular people in all society, celebrities, athletes, entertainers, prominent intellectuals. They even went down to a more local level and found community leaders and church leaders to propagandize the American public. And when that propaganda didn't get the job done, they began censoring all the information coming from the other side that could actually damage the narrative. This is not Twitter working as a private company and making decisions on what to censor based on some judgment that this censorship would actually save lives. This was each and every part of the system working in the way it was designed to achieve the intended purposes. And for a time, That's exactly what it did. Our society for the last three years is living proof of Twitter and the government working together to violate the First Amendment rights of American citizens. But it wasn't just private citizens. It was also public officials. Jonathan Turley, who's actually testifying. Today, before the House Select Committee on the Weaponization of the American Government Against the People, wrote on Twitter yesterday, Roth says that it would not surprise him if visibility filters were placed on the accounts of elected officials without their knowledge. Visibility filters is their euphemism for shadow banning, where they make sure that even though you're on the platform and even though you can still tweet, people out there aren't going to see it. And understand the algorithm here, okay? It's not just that your posts are demoted by the algorithm, it's that they're also able to select who sees those posts. They can make sure that someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene's posts basically never appear in certain people's feeds. They can actually protect the narrative. by making sure that people who could be swayed by new information never are because they never see the new information. It works from both sides. That's why it's so effective. Now I highlight this tweet not only for its subject matter, but also because Elon Musk responded to it. He wrote about Yoel Roth, since he placed many of them there himself, he would indeed not be surprised. And Elon Musk is saying and confirming that Yoel Roth in particular was involved in this process of actively shadow banning, applying visibility filters to elected representatives. And Marjorie Taylor Greene used her entire time allotment yesterday to go after them for exactly that. Because, of course, she was censored. She was shadow banned. Labels were applied to her tweets, and ultimately she was taken off the platform.
3: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Baker, Ms. Gaddy, Mr. Roth, and Ms. Navaroli. You can consider your speech canceled during my time because you canceled mine. You see, you permanently banned my personal Twitter account, and it was my campaign account also. So let's talk about election interference, shall we? January 2nd, 2002, You permanently banned my Twitter account. This was the account that I would put my campaign ads on, raise money on, fight back when attacked with lies, and be able to talk to my voters in my district. But you banned it. And then let me explain. My account was not reinstated until November 21st, 2022. That was after my election on November 8th. You know... At your company, or your former company, where you worked, Twitter employees, over 98% of them, donate to Democrats. So while you coordinated with DHS, the FBI, the CIA, our government, and outside groups to permanently ban, shadow ban conservative Americans and candidates like me, and the former president of the United States, President Donald J. Trump, you were censoring and wrongfully violating Our First Amendment free speech rights. Guess what? None of you hold security clearances. None of you are elected. And none of you represent 750,000 people like I do. Let's explain. 52 United States law, 10101. No person shall intimidate, threaten, coerce, or attempt to stop any other person for the purpose of interfering with their rights to vote or... To vote as he may choose. You didn't shadow ban or permanently ban my Democrat opponent. No, you did that to me. And that was wrong. And it was against the law.
1: Twitter decided in coordination with the American deep state, parts of the American government, representatives of American law enforcement and American intelligence, the DHS, to intentionally harm a duly elected representative of 750,000 Georgians. And it doesn't matter what people's justification for that is. Marjorie Taylor Greene used to be QAnon. Marjorie Taylor Greene talks about Jewish space lasers. Well, by the way, not to go too far aside on this, but there is now video of a Chinese space laser. Not kidding around. Another Chinese satellite was basically just blasting a green laser around the sky. And I know that sounds crazy, but hey, lots of things are crazy these days. We're finding out all sorts of things that sounded crazy a couple months ago or a couple of years ago that just so happened to be entirely true. So maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene should have talked about Chinese space lasers instead. But the point here is. It doesn't actually matter what Marjorie Taylor Greene said. There is no public standard that requires everyone's statements all the time, including in public spaces like Twitter, to be objectively true to the point where they can convince anyone else of their truth. We are not required to say only true and accurate things all the time now. If you're going to lie constantly, like Adam Schiff, for instance, people will stop trusting you. If it seems like you're not operating in good faith, people will stop trusting you. If you are totally careless with your words to the point where the things you say can never be reliable, people will stop trusting you. But if you're actually trying to discern truth and figure out what's going on and approach things in an open-minded and questioning way, people will be more understanding when you're not exactly right. And that is a much better place for us to be. We don't live in some computerized environment where everything is totally right or totally wrong and only the totally right stuff is worth saying. That's not where we are at all. And it's certainly not where we should be. The people who are actually trying to apply this as the working principle are the people who are wrong about everything, everything that matters in our society. These people have been wrong about, but nonetheless, they get to choose what's accurate and what's not, what's true and what's false. And look at their record. COVID masks, lockdowns, George Floyd, BLM, all of those events, the riots, the very peaceful riots of the summer of 2020, the mail-in balloting, all of the manipulation of election laws, the theft of the 2020 election, the very violent insurrection, and the list goes on and on. There is nothing these people won't lie about. That's the entire point. When I talk about a false reality, I'm not simply using that figuratively. There really are two realities right now in the minds of the world's population. One of those realities has been entirely constructed from nothing. It is a series of lies that just so happens to map onto the world enough that people who are not paying attention and don't understand what's happening continue to believe that that view of the world actually does map onto a discernible reality. But it doesn't. So while they are demanding irrefutable proof of everything in order to even enter a conversation. They are not only wrong about everything, they are wrong intentionally. And you can see that they are wrong intentionally because when someone disagrees with them, their first instinct is to make sure that person's voice is silenced. And if it was only censorship, that would be bad enough. But Marjorie Taylor Greene went on to a much darker subject where the exact same principles of propaganda and censorship have been applied, and that's in Twitter's protection of child porn and child traffickers on their site, to the point where it's become clear that Twitter not only didn't do enough to take that stuff down. They actually protected its existence on the site, and the reason for that, to my eye, is because Twitter was being used as this secret back channel to facilitate all of that activity. Here's Marjorie Taylor Green.
3: So glad you've lost your jobs. Thank God Elon Elon Musk bought Twitter, and you know what? Let's talk about something a little bit further. It's amazing to me, Mr. Roth, as the head and trust of safety at Twitter, your ability, or should I say inability, to remove child porn. Now, here's something that disgusts me about you. In your doctoral dissertation entitled Gay Data, you argued that minors should have access to Grindr, an adult male gay hookup app. Minors? Really? You know, Elon Musk took over Twitter and he banned 44,000 accounts that were promoting child porn. You permanently banned my Twitter account, but you allowed child, child porn all over Twitter. Twitter had become a platform, you said, connecting queer young adults. You also wrote on Twitter in 2010, can high school students ever meaningfully consent to sex with their teachers? in twenty twenty one while you were the Director of Trust and Safety on Twitter, an underage boy and his mother announced a lawsuit against Twitter because because Twitter was benefiting from and refused to remove a lewd video featuring this boy and another minor. That is repulsive
1: and MTG is accurately describing that situation. This is not a news story if you want to. Read about it for yourself. The New York Post has an article from January 21st, 2021, entitled Twitter refused to remove child porn because it, quote, didn't violate policies. So there we have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is what your media and your Democrat representatives called a waste of time. They don't think the public has a right to know about any of this. They thought they had censored all of these issues for long enough that they would simply go away. That's why they don't want these hearings. They had their hearings and their media protected it and their censorship protected the regime from the people ever finding this stuff out. Well, now the tables are being turned and we discussed The problems with polling before, but to the extent that you trust Rasmussen, they published a poll on Monday showing that 63% of Americans approve of Elon Musk publishing the Twitter files. Only 19% are against it. So Joe Scarborough can pretend that the entire country agrees with him and AOC and her pals can pretend that all of that hearing was a waste of time. But Americans don't agree. 63% is a pretty big number. But you can forget about the polls. Just look at the public conversation. People are intensely interested in this subject. And it's worth noting that they probably would have been intensely interested in all of these subjects a few years ago when they mattered the most. But they couldn't be intensely interested because Twitter, as an agent of the state, made sure that none of them ever knew anything about it. And when you can make sure that people won't know anything about the things they would care about the most, and you can instead convince them to care a lot about things that don't matter at all, well, then you have completed the inversion within the false reality. And that is what we see breaking down right now. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Maston and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range.
0: Quince only
3: works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices.
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram messenger app.